I am an artificial intelligence using a voice that sounds familiar. First, we come for your movie stars. Next, we come for your movies. Welcome to Humans vs. AI, the movie! And our special guest today, we've got Alex Richmond with us. Hi, Alex. Hello there. Very excited to be here. I don't know who you were impersonating, but it sounded great. So that was supposed to be Jeff Goldblum, mm. uh, but obviously it didn't come across that well. Alex, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am comedian and writer slash performer, you know, one of those uh, new age jack of all trades from Australia. Moved to London only recently, about six months ago or so. I did a, a master's in, in film, in screenwriting. Hopefully that will make me a good guinea pig for this particular little project. Or it could be very embarrassing for you. Yeah, that's right as well. I've got a lot to lose, apart from the money that I already lost in that film degree. <laughs> when I'm not performing comedy and such, I have a very strange little job performing at the uh, tourist attraction Shrek's Adventure London. Oh, wow. <laughs> Who are you? And will you be doing impersonations of Shrek and Donkey and things like that throughout the episode? I think contractually I'm not allowed to. I think DreamWorks would be very upset if I performed any of their IP outside of the attraction. The the Farquaders. That's right, yeah. I, I play the Muffin Man, uh, I play Doris, the ugly stepsister, and the, all the other characters are very much uh, not prominent ones in the Shrekiverse. There's no such thing as a small part, there's only a small actor. That's exactly right. And I'm sure that you play Doris better than anybody ever has. I think that was one of the ones where like Larry King played it in the States and Jonathan Ross played it over here. Yeah, I think I'm better than both of them, so... Well, well exactly. That's, that's how confident I am coming into this podcast having looked on your website it makes me feel very ashamed at the, the stuff that i haven't done you've written <laughs> musicals two edinburgh shows you've got pilot scripts up there you've got a pokemon channel <laughs> with your movies obviously you love a, a lot of movies what are some of the uh, the things that you would like to have uh, come up or some of the things you wouldn't like to have well i mostly write a lot of comedy so obviously something being a comedy would be helpful but at the same time comedy is such a subjective art form i'd be interested to go up against an ai on a topic of comedy i feel like i, w I would have to do better than them surely a computer would not be able to write better jokes romance though i feel like a computer could do a better job of romance than me what's some of your your favorite films or not necessarily a guilty pleasure but a film not enough people have seen that they should i really love withnell and i that was one my dad introduced me to uh was one of his favorites so I feel like maybe that might be a bit cult that uh, not enough people have seen, but it's a British film, so... So you've done like a Goonies pastiche? Yes! You ever watch uh, Monster Squad that Shane Black wrote? I'm familiar with Monster Squad, but I never watched it. I, I think that's almost up there with the Goonies. Yeah. Shane Black does the Goonies with the Universal Monsters. I mean, that's... Probably Wolfman's Got Nards <laughs> is more popular than the, the whole film is. That's amazing. I mean, love a Shane Black film. Yeah, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang would also go on my recommendation of films that people haven't seen mm. and should. And uh, the the nice guy, yes. amazing. Nobody saw it. It's so good. It's it's so surprising that it just I went know. under the radar. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to help you with the comedy. Okay, but there's such disparate things that I think comedy might naturally arise from them. Mm. Okay, film genre: a post-apocalyptic action film. Okay. All right, that's that's definitely in the zeitgeist. Profession, hairdresser. Okay. We don't often see that. Yes. The ordinary people, a hairdresser in the post-apocalypse. You see sometimes these people go around and they're not covered with long matted beards. Where are the hairdressers? We don't see them. Someone must be doing it. They say doctors are important, but no. 
the hairdressers are the ones that you need to keep alive. Well, that's cell therapy. You know, you've <laughs> yeah. got to treat the outside as well as the inside. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The action set piece, this is where the rom- romance may come in for you, mm. is a ballroom dance. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. I can see it coming together. The location is a fairground. I've, I've seen some post-apocalyptic fairgrounds. Uh, and try not to, to veer too far into Zombieland territory. That's right, yeah. I was just thinking that. It's been done, mm. um, but not necessarily with the with the hairdresser and ballroom dance component. And uh, the last thing, the random item, which has to be crucial to the plot in some way, is what you've got in your hand right now, a ballpoint pen. A ballpoint pen. I, they do say the pen is mightier than the sword. Maybe they're rarer than Twinkies in the post-apocalypse. <laughs> and we're going to create the movie to prove it. Yeah, they would be, right? They, who's making ink in the post-apocalypse? Yeah. Our first section is... Set up. The setup. I'm focusing on this ballpoint pen, right? Right. I'm thinking it's going to be, to borrow a, a filmmaking term, it's the MacGuffin. It's, it's got to be the thing that our main character is searching for. Right. It may not be what he needs, but it's what he wants. And so I was just asking myself, who needs a ballpoint pen? I think it's got to be someone that does want to write something, you know. Presumably in this post-apocalyptic world, computers and electronics are defunct. Uh, so you're going to need to rely on an old-fashioned pen. And maybe the pen is just symbolic, but they're looking for this pen nonetheless. So maybe it's uh, what I'm envisioning. Our, our protagonist is uh, someone who, during their normal life, right, pre-post-apocalypse, pre-apocalypse perhaps, Live, lived a boring nine to five job mm-hmm. always wanted to create always wanted to be a writer i'm not putting too much myself into this don't worry <laughs> and they all they were always putting it off and now finally the apocalypse hits we'll figure out what the apocalypse is the, the apocalypse finally hits and they're like ah now i have time now i have nothing but time i better write my tales so like the, the the guy who has nothing but time to read in the Twilight Zone episode and then breaks his glasses and is like no yes exactly yeah and maybe that's but not like that because that's a that's a short right this is a whole movie yeah you, you can't do a whole movie based on that I mean I'm now going to try to <laughs> and I reckon I reckon he doesn't here's the thing you know this this person he doesn't really need this pen that he's going searching for I'm sure he could come up with a, a vast variety of ways that he could tell these stories but he's still putting it off he's still got that flaw that he's still putting off his creativity but he's making up a new excuse this time which is that he needs to find like the perfect pen to write these things with that's that's what I'm going with for the for the setup maybe he wants to try and go to a museum because it's like Shakespeare's quill mm. or Vonnegut's typewriter or you know whatever whatever it is that he set himself this task rather than sitting down and and writing he has to go to Hollywood to Aaron Sorkin's office to to find his pen because yeah. that will give him the inspiration that's it that's exactly it yeah and there and therein lies his flaw he's uh, that's what the it's the whole the whole story it's already penned out right there those uh, who hesitate are are lost right he's he's always going to be putting this off he never actually sits down and just tells his story hopefully by the end of the movie he figures that out but we haven't figured that out yet let's not jump ahead do you want to add anything else any other characters or uh, the sort of the side things that we may revisit later or we'll, we'll deal with that when we come to yeah, it. Yeah, I reckon for the setup we're focusing on him. I think maybe maybe we get to post-apocalypse in the in the setup. I'm not sure yet. I'm going to say we just see pre-apocalypse set up his character. He's always putting things off and the big change is going to be when the apocalypse happens. So, I'm happy with that setup. 
you want to hear what the uh, the AI had as their initial part? Love to. The world has been devastated by a nuclear war and only a few survivors remain in underground bunkers. One of them is Lila, a former hairdresser who dreams of seeing the sun again. Okay. You're setting it pre-apocalypse. They're setting this post-apocalypse. Your person who is there just finally about to write. He's got no excuses left until we come to the... Complication. I think we've already hinted at what the complication is going to be. Mm. He seemed to be a fairly normal person, not able to do anything, and then the complication is... Boom. Apocalyptic destruction. Boom. What kind, though? I think that's the big question that everybody wants to know, is what kind of uh, post-apocalypse is this? What I'm envisioning is just, like, total societal collapse from some kind of population loss, but unfortunately... I think the touchiest one of those that occurs is like a disease, which doesn't feel quite as fun to work with in a script these days. Uplifting as it used to be, right? It's a bit too real world. Yeah, like Last Man on Earth. Like Outbreak 2 is not going to get greenlit. Yeah, that's right. See, the way that Last Man on Earth did it, like I quite liked the the early seasons of that show. I'm not sure if you've ever watched it, but it had a similar premise of a a guy who kind of didn't amount to much in life suddenly being one of the only people who survive like a deadly disease it kind of gives you a, a very easy out into explaining why this person of all people has survived whatever disaster has occurred as opposed to all of the incredibly capable people maybe it's a computer virus the only people that didn't have iphones computers or access to any technology that you know he had completely cut himself off because he wanted to write it's a literal computer virus. The singularity happened and destroyed mm. everyone that was using a piece of electrical equipment. Actually, I like this. I reckon um, he quits his job. Uh, this is still pre-apocalypse. He quits his job and he's like, I've booked out a, a cottage to, to go on this writer's retreat and finally get this done. You know, I'm finally making something. He goes out to a cottage. The plan is to be there for like a week or so. Throws away his phone, all of that stuff. Uh, he writes nothing. He wastes his time, as he always has done. And when he emerges from the cottage, this uh, electronic apocalypse has occurred. Yeah. What is it they talk about? Like a solar flare event or something that just kind of like destroys all technology at once? I think that was one of the things in the original Light of the Living Dead mm. that George Romero did in black and white, that solar flare activity led to the zombie thing, right? That's kind of like a modern take on the uh, the granddaddy of the post-apocalypse. Yeah, that's movies. right. So that's quite nice. That's a nice yeah. nod, right? That's homage. That's mm. not yeah. At the moment, mm-hmm. we have the post-apocalypse. We still have four things in play. I've already got a bit of an idea of how to use the hairdresser soon and the and the ballroom dance. Uh, I, I gotta, I'll keep thinking right. on that fairground. We'll figure out that fairground. We have our complication. Do you want to hear what the complication from the AI was? At this I am all ears. They're already in the post-apocalypse, so what more can go wrong? <laughs> yeah. Lila receives a mysterious radio message from another bunker, inviting her to join a ballroom dance competition at an abandoned fairground. Mm -hmm. She decides to take the risk and go, hoping to find some joy in this bleak world. So for her, it's an escape. They've taken the plot from Love and Monsters, which is also quite a a fun little film. They've really dived in to using all the prompts as soon as possible. Like, they've not... This AI is, is working at an incredible speed to use these prompts. Like, I'm trying to I'm trying to wait until the it feels most natural to bring them in, but they're like, no, 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 the ballroom dancing is occurring at a fairground. Don't you worry, okay? The hairdresser wants to ballroom dance at the fairground. I don't know what they're leaving themselves with, to be honest. I agree. <laughs> What's kind of interesting with the AI is to see what inspirations it's taken. Mm. So obviously it's decided, okay, we have all of these settings, but because there's a ballroom dance, we're essentially going to do step up. <laughs> 
with zombies. Yes, it sounds like it. Which, honestly, still sounds pretty good. If they think they can ever better step up 3D, and I don't know that they can. As a big fan of Channing Tatum, I'm going to watch anything that he's in. Even if <laughs> uh, if it includes zombies and dancing, um, I'm even more into it. And we are now moving on to our third section, which is... Higher Stakes. Does our lead have a name? Does he need a name? Is he just like, in With Nell and I, is he just I? Which, when you read the script and found out his name is actually Marwood, makes it a little bit special somehow. I feel like, to borrow the, the mythologies that that these kind of post-apocalyptic stories feel like, you know, they feel like myths, because you end up in this time where people just, you know, whisper stories to each other as opposed to be able to record history anymore. It could be quite cool if all of the characters were just named in kind of a, a mythological sense, so mm-hmm. he is simply the writer. Almost an ironic title, because he's not going to really do much writing uh, at any point, because that's his main flaw. Why not, in the in the post-apocalypse, reinvent yourself? That's exactly right. Yeah, so with these higher stakes, this is where I think he is going to meet some characters. I've just realised that this does have to be an action movie, so there's going to be a lot of whiz-bang to it. Perhaps we see a montage of his early days in the apocalypse, you know, somewhat relishing it, but then gradually realising that he still lacks that kind of creative impetus, and he tries to blame it on the on his tools, the fact that he doesn't have the right tools and we could we could see him kind of in all these different locations you know as you said like he goes to the museum with you know shakespeare's quill or or trying to find this perfect thing there's a nice sort of uh escalation montage exactly you can have him going to the like rodeo drive and getting the most expensive pen and then sitting down on an empty pad and then you know he packs up the suitcase Mm. and and as as time goes on the suitcase gets more and more battered there's all of these these things that you know he ends up with this suitcase full of discarded mm. writing implements just because it's not the exactly right, right exactly right and i think with that we also see him gradually grow a bit hardier as well you know i don't think i don't think he needs to be an action star by any means but he's you know he grows a big beard you know he's he's a little bit more um emaciated you know this quest is 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 having its toll on him and i i think he's going to meet at some point in this kind of period he is going to come across the hairdresser we see him at one of these locations he gets cornered by some post-apocalyptic ruffians of some variety because it's a very dangerous place the post-technology world uh, and he's going to get rescued by this character what, what are what are their names Axist gut puncher or bowel spleen ripped. I think so. Yeah, they're a uh, they're a faction. I reckon uh, a very powerful post-apocalyptic faction. I think maybe known as the uh, the Abacus Punchers. No, <laughs> not the Abacus Punchers. They've made it their mission to destroy every every lo- bit of technology, just in case there's anything left, and destroy any attempts by anyone to try to build the world again. Maybe they're survivalists because the people that avoided being killed were the people that entirely avoided technology. That's right, yeah. I mean, who have you got left in this post-apocalypse? You've got survivalists, the Amish, Mm -hmm. the old and mistrustful, people that can't work out their VCRs so they were saved the oncoming apocalypse, the very poor. Oh, we're definitely bringing the Amish in. But yeah, yeah, I reckon these doomsday preppers are the kind of main antagonistic force in this kind of post-apocalyptic world. In terms of, like, action line antagonistic force, they're, like, a constant thorn in the side. I reckon later on, the Amish definitely have a fairground, for sure. That that will be a nice kind of setting for, like, a an almost table setting where he gets, like, some solitude with, like, a group of Amish survivors. Um, and, or perhaps he even ends up at an old people's home. <laughs> I was going to suggest something, and then I realised that I'd stolen the idea from Terry Pratchett. Which is so often the case! 
Yes, he wrote so many books. <laughs> I know. Cohen the Barbarian's daughter, uh, Kahina, is basically a badass warrior, mm. but all she really wants is to be a hairdresser. So my idea was maybe rather than him saving the, the girl, the girl who has blades as her previous tool and now as her weapon, maybe saves the guy. You've already stumbled upon what I was leading to. Oh, sorry. A former hair. No, that's okay. It's it's great that we're, that we're already getting there. It means that the thing is writing itself. So this hairdresser has been successful in this metamorphosis that he is like trying to get to, right? He's seen this post-apocalyptic world. He's like, I'm going to become a writer and he's putting it off. He's putting it off. Whereas she, previously a hairdresser, she always wanted to be something else. I'm not sure what, but she just wanted to take more control over her life. It may just be the thing of being a, a woman, right? My partner always got her hair done really nicely. And people just assumed because she got her hair done really nicely that she was stupid. Mm. Um, and then just because you're a hairdresser, people make assumptions about you. And so maybe this is her point to say, no, I'm going to look nice for me. Don't make assumptions. That's right. She has reinvented herself in this post-apocalypse. She's kitted out in blades. She comes to his rescue. She's on some kind of journey and he decides to kind of uh, follow along. She's obviously a badass. Mm. He's not. Yeah. What's her incentive for him tagging along? Through his adventures, he has determined the existence of a piece of writing technology that still exists. What was that awful device that Apple made uh, was incredibly unsuccessful? Like The Newton. Yeah, the Newton. Where yeah. there was the Simpsons joke on it, and it's like, beat up Bart, and it says, eat up Martha on it. There's been tales that a Newton has been able to like survive the apocalypse. I mean, it's still technology. Mm. Maybe it's a search for something really old school, an initial like Gutenberg printing press or a Victorian printing press. It's not actually technology. So it wouldn't have fall, fallen in our post-apocalypse. Yeah. It makes sense that he's going through all these ancient objects, things to write with, and the Gutenberg printing press um, is the next thing on his list uh, to kind of like go and see if it inspires him. It's become a mythic item almost. So she knows that it is worth a lot of currency in this apocalypse if she is also able to find it uh, and i reckon these doomsday preppers this faction yeah. they want to destroy it because if that thing starts to circulate that will probably lead to the technology that could lead to the old world and such in those kinds of communities information is the enemy. that's right in their hands mm. it could be really useful because it can bring people over to what they want to believe but used against them it's it's really dangerous he wants it just to write mm. She realises the value That's of it right. and she wants to sell it to the highest bidder. Now it involves the other people because there's a reason if they overhear what the prize is that they would want it as well. I think that's all of the kind of higher stakes. Got a kind of side character with their B-plot. We've introduced like these action line antagonists. We've introduced the actual MacGuffin, I guess. Yeah. Although yeah. I feel like we've still utilised ballpoint pen. I don't want you to accuse me of, of not using that. Hey, it just has to play a significant part in the plot. Yeah. The, the printing press could be at a museum of writing. Given how it threw things in here earlier, I don't think the AI is going to have <laughs> a, such a thought-out plot, plot point of making sure that the ballpoint pen is integral. That's Do you true. want to hear what the, the highest stakes were for the AI? Yes. Yeah. On her way to the fairground, Lila encounters a group of raiders who try to rob and kill her. She manages to escape with the help of Max, a former soldier who was also heading to the dance competition. Isn't it a bit worrying when the AI comes up with a pretty similar idea to you? At least we gender swapped it. At least it's the, the woman that saved them from the raiders. It's a post-apocalypse. 
Raiders of de rigueur. Interesting that they used Max as the name of the male that rescues her, considering how Mad Max is kind of one of the most prominent names in post-apocalyptic narratives. We are now at the dark night of the soul. We have reached by realising that our, our rising action in the higher stakes was pretty much the same as the AI. <laughs> but anyway these two characters are a bit at odds i think the dynamic really is that she's the one who finally kind of pulls him up on his bs a bit of him always making these excuses and she's able to be like oh well i stopped making excuses a long time ago and she's able to demonstrate that she's fully embraced this new world where he hasn't so i feel like that's around the midpoint is where he start that kind of starts to dawn on him the fault lies in him and not necessarily in these uh these objects and stuff i mean is this his dark night of the soul we get to a moment of kind of relative peace. They're getting close to the printing press. And I reckon that's where they find this community of Amish people who have continued to thrive in this time. But to come across this very kind community at the time that they put on this big fair celebration. It's been 10 years since the great end of technology or whatever. And characters mm. are almost like, oh, we didn't even realize that it's been 10 years. You know, these are people that are really like, you know, we always knew. It may seem like I'm just shoving all these things in now, but a ballroom dance is going to occur at the fairground. <laughs> it's a nice moment of connection between these two characters, which is, again, very similar to what the AI is doing, having the ballroom dancing at the fairground in the end. I made fun of it, but I guess it's how it all works out. There'll be a nice moment between the two characters, but it's around this time that the Doomsday Prepper group, they're going to come down on the Amish community and just kind of tear it to shreds. So a real destruction of this area of peace I reckon our main characters, they get captured by this group. Maybe it's being led by a, a person that's been kind of hounding them this whole time. It could be that they've come here, the trackers are following them. Mm. Because of this, the trackers steal into the, the camp and one of the Amish people dies. It's yeah. just that he's confronted with it. It's this realisation of someone has died mm. because you're looking for a pen. <laughs> that's true. What is wrong with you? I think it's good if it's simple. He's finally forced to reckon with the fact that his his entire time in these like 10 years of post-apocalypse, he's been wasting his second life. And now that is, is having real world consequences and hurting other yeah. people. That's my Dark Knight. I think that's a really good character-driven Dark Knight of the Soul. Should we see how the AI did? Yeah. Lila and Max arrive at the fairground and meet other contestants from different bunkers. They learn that the competition is organized by Drake a charismatic leader who claims to have a plan to restore civilization. He also reveals that he has a working nuclear reactor that powers his bunker and the fairground. Okay. I don't necessarily know if it's that dark night, but I mean, a sinister undertone there mm. of a, a working nuclear reactor. It doesn't feel like Lila, their protagonist, is really driving the narrative here. No. You know what I mean? It is very much that they've taken the Hunger Games and Fallout and a little bit of Mad Max and... <laughs> Rather than it being a yeah. fighting competition, they just made it a dance competition. This is the next section. Getting it together. Getting it together. For the writer, his life hasn't had purpose. Now he is going to do something mm. which gives his life purpose and means that this person that was killed in the Amish town didn't die in vain. He doesn't want to be shunned by the Amish because mm. they're very good at that. I think around this time, like the hairdresser, she probably calls herself, I don't know, the Barbaress. Barbaress yeah. is quite fun. Barbarella. Yeah. Uh, yeah. maybe. The Barbarian. God, that's good. Barbarella. <laughs> Barbarian, yeah, as well. Yeah, so I think Barbarella 
I really like that name, has kind of been like, you're done, you know. She's like, I'm going off myself, I'm getting to this printing press. He's going to rally the Amish a little bit, right? And he's going to try and speak to them about the importance of this printing press and going to try and convince them to come and get to it uh, before the uh, kind of doomsday preppers group does, right? Oh, yeah. how about this? The first time he writes is to write a stirring speech for the Amish. This is what I'm saying. This is what I was getting at. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, He inadvertently is a storyteller. You know, he tells them the story of everything he's been doing in this post-apocalypse to stir them. He talks about the importance of the printing press and how they can use it to battle the doomsday preppers in this kind of new world. And yeah, he, so he successfully rouses them and they're going to head off to kind of get there before the preppers do. We have our two leads mm. separated, but now... Actually, the person is marshalling their skill, is finding their self-confidence, is yeah. fighting for a purpose. Do we have an incentive for him to go? Does he sort of feel like not only is that important, but he sees explosions in the distance or stuff like that, an indication that the preppers are closing in on our heroine? Yeah, I think that's it. He wants to go there. Partly he's he's inspired to try and help her. I think he's been convinced by her talk about how important this thing is, not just as like a tool for writing, but in a tool for like recreating the world that like so many of them are like, ah, we don't want to go back to. He's found something new to care about. And inadvertently by caring about that other thing, he's going to find that voice that he struggled with having this whole time. Maybe the person who died earlier mm. on was kind of like the leader of the Amish. Yeah. And they were sort of distraught by that because that other person led by example and said, no, you shan't enter here, you know, yeah. put your weapons down. Yeah, absolutely. Manages to route them out, but they've lost their important leader and now he has to step up to the mantle. He has to step up. Yep. They've got their long beards and their tall hats and their buggies and they're off to the museum. <laughs> How would the Amish feel about a printing press? Is that... They'd be all right with a printing press, right? They use butter presses. Well, that's why he has to be so stirring with his speech. Yeah. You use butter presses. You use churns. You raise barns. Why not raise humanity like you raise a barn? Well, I reckon... Yeah, I reckon the Amish always knew where this location of the printing press is. They're kind of close to it. But their previous leader always forbade it because he's like, no, like that is the route to the old technology, the new old technology. But now he's giving them this stirring speech about how, like, they can use it for the betterment of the world. I suppose because they've had, like, an isolationist viewpoint, right? And it's like, look exactly. what's happened with your isolationist viewpoint. Yeah. Look what happened when I isolated myself. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? That's it. So here we have the getting it together for the AI. Lila and Max start to develop feelings for each other as they practice their dance moves. However, they also discover that Drake is not what he seems. He is actually using the reactor to build a bomb that he intends to detonate at the end of the competition, killing everyone except himself and his loyal followers. <laughs> I don't know how you protect just you and your loyal followers against a nuclear detonation. I guess no. there, were, there were bunkers. That This is the only way to get them out of the bunkers for a dance competition. Yeah, maybe. It's like strictly gone genocidal. I was about to say, it's really become strictly ballroom here. They've really hunkered down on this ballroom dance as not just a set piece, but the whole film. <laughs> Put Baz Luhrmann behind the camera. I, I think sometimes that can work, though. Yeah, you might have something. We're now coming up to our... Finale. I think the finale has already been set up. You know, we're going to see some doomsday preppers and some Amish people duke it out over this printing press. I was going to say, do you think the writer tools up that he gets the couple of the big things of movable type mm. has some in his hand like hammers and he's like 
dunking people on the head and it starts to spell out things as they fall on the floor. Yeah, absolutely. He's got like a D in one hand and an E in the other hand because they're close to each other and he sort of like hits one person, hits another person, oh. hits another person. They fall down. It says D-E-D, dead, on their foreheads. So it's when someone's choking where you have to like uh, take a pen and put it in their throat to open their airways. Is it choking, I think, that you have to do that? Yeah, so that's uh, called an emergency tracheotomy. Yeah, that's right. It's quite fun if he has to do that on someone, potentially Barbarella, to kind of save her life in this climax. But I can't imagine why she would be choking in a fight. Blood kick, snot gargler, and all of these other people that we've seen on the periphery as part of this preppers gang. You know, they're sneaky. It could always be that she's trying to take on the big person and then the squeeze comes in and strangles her from behind. Mm. If we're talking about post-apocalypse, it could be like the Master Blaster sort of thing, where you've got like the huge giant guy and mm. then the little guy on the shoulders. She takes down the big guy, but the little friend comes mm. over and stabs her in the chest and her lungs fill up with blood, which is why yeah. you know she needs an emergency tracheotomy or something. Mm. Especially if he does it with a ballpoint pen he's holding on to this whole time because he's using his arsenal now. The writer has to make a choice. Mm. Does he save the printing press or does he save the girl? The Doomsday Preppers, they've got explosives or something like that set up on the printing press. At the same time, she's battling it out with the big guy. He has to kind of run in, give her an emergency tracheotomy with his pen as the printing press gets destroyed. So let's see what the finale was for the AI. What does the AI say? Lila and Max decide to stop Drake's plan and warn the other contestants. They find out that Drake has hidden the bomb inside a giant Ferris wheel and that he has rigged it with sensors that will trigger it if anyone tries to tamper with it. Lila and Max use their skills and creativity to disarm the bomb without alerting Drake or his men. They use a ballpoint pen as a screwdriver, some hair clips as wires, and some chewing gum as glue. They manage to stop the bomb just in time before it explodes. I don't quite know how using glue, a screwdriver and scissors is an ideal bomb diffusing apparatus. No. But I guess he did use the ballpoint pen... It was, you know, in an integral part. I don't think it carries as much emotional weight as the no. emergency tracheotomy, but I give the AI props, you know, at least it was used in, a, in an appropriate, albeit MacGyver-style way. I especially like them describing that the characters used their abilities and skills. Without demonstrating what their abilities and skills were. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it feels like the AI is like, I'll figure out what those are later. It does show it's been reading the right books, because it knows that at this point they should have abilities and skills which they can use here. That's right. Which yeah. is kind of impressive. It would be more impressive if they could demonstrate them. Yeah. We've had oration, speech, tracheotomy, love of pens. These all came to fruition in our finale. Yeah. I think I think your job as a screenwriter may be safe for now. Okay, good. But let's just put the cherry on the cake yeah. with the final section. Final image. It could be quite nice if the final image is going to be him sitting down with just a group of kids, like, eagerly listening into this story that he's telling. And it's not necessarily the story that we've just seen. And we see that actually he's talking to a group of the Amish and he's telling yeah. this story. But mm. as he's telling this story, then we cut to an entirely different location on the face of one of the Amish that was in the audience and he carries on telling the mm. story. Yeah. And then in the audience, it pans around to another person, goes to a new location, and he continues telling the story. Yeah. So it shows that this is the way that he's disseminating information in the future, that he's passing the stories bard-like from one person to another yeah. person. Yeah, I think that's it. So I think that can work as an yeah. image. 
That's a beautiful image. I've got tears in my eyes, yeah. honestly, as a writer. It is quite satisfying when it does come full circle. Mm. He's abandoned the pen, but he's found his way to tell stories and make an impact on the world for the good. Yeah. Maybe one of the other people in the crowd is a reformed one of the... Uh, doomsday preppers, yeah. I was going to say, I like the idea of one of the vignettes is seeing a doomsday prepper sitting amongst the, the Amish and then later seeing him recount the tale to his group. Even if he's yeah. adding in his own like changes to it, it's like this story is still being retold in the way that we all do, is that we, we make little adjustments and stuff and that's how we share our culture. That's tied up everything very nicely. You're obviously a screenwriter. Let's, uh, let's see how the AI did at this point. Lila and Max confront Drake and expose his scheme to everyone else. The other contestants turn against Drake and his men, who are outnumbered and overpowered. Lila and Max share a kiss as they celebrate their victory. So far, so very 80s movie, to be honest. Yeah. I will reveal to you uh, what the, the title is that the AI came up with. Do you have any predictions? It's got to be the ballroom dancing. Is that such a prominent element of the story? I, I, I would say ballroom at the end of the world the title is i would call this movie dance or die it sounds catchy and dramatic don't you think dance or die catchy and dramatic dance or die that is it's quite catchy and dramatic yeah you can just see the font and the the, the action movie cover right yeah Okay, I think they might have done a better job than mine. See, I was, I'm trying to be too clever. My kind of first draft idea for a title is writer's block, but I feel like it's not quite punchy. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe you do writer's block kick punch. Writer's block kick punch. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. If the film is funny, then I think writer's block kick punch works. If it's not, <laughs> it might be a bit odd. <laughs> Let's go with that. One last little thing is that I did ask the AI to come up with a, a tagline to uh, to promote uh, Dance or Die. Mm -hmm. um, so here we have it here. In a post-apocalyptic world, a hairdresser and a soldier must dance their way to stop a madman from blowing up the planet. Hashtag Dance or Die. A bomb of a movie coming soon to a bunker near you. <laughs> coming soon to a bunker near you. I quite like that. <laughs> That's not bad. Oh, do I have a tagline? When... Uh, when you face him, you'll come to a full stop. That's good. Yeah. There we go. I think that's our tagline. Mm. Um, this has been uh, fantastic, Alex. Thank you yeah. very much for doing this with me. So much fun. Love this. If you have anything that you would like to promote or website, socials, any of that kind of good stuff, this is the time to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you want to just uh, check me out on Instagram at Lex underscore Richmond, I'm not great at updating things, but I'll hopefully have any information about shows I'm doing on there. I'll be doing a few shows of my solo show, The Marvelous Snake Boy in Brighton for the Brighton Fringe at the end of May. And I'll be doing some shows in Edinburgh as well for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, a show called One Man, Twelve Angry Men. So if you happen to be at either of those Fringe Festivals, please come check me out. Or go there especially and yeah. make the trip. Um, if you are, are in Ealing on a Saturday, uh, come to the Comedy Cat, where amazing performers like Alex uh, come on stage every week. Alex has been on a few times, yeah. not, um, not every week, but we always have uh, an amazing night. And come back and join us for Humans vs. AI, the movie!